0: I'm Katie Prejean-McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. There's a question they ask you in therapy, at least my therapist asked me. And it was a a very simple question, yet a question that has led to some of the, the deepest healing work that I've done in my life. And the question simply was, what do you think caused this? Now, I realize that's kind of the most generic question in the world, and isn't it the job of the therapist to answer that question for you? And, and maybe at some point I, I thought that. But the second time my therapist ever asked me that, what do you think causes that? It was specifically in regards to anxiety. And I was, I was specifically talking about the fact that sometimes I feel like everything is spinning out of control around me. And so my response to a lack of control In some areas means that I have to be over-controlling in other areas, and that can lead me to be very cruel to my family, or that can lead me to be incredibly militant with things like the organization of our Tupperware cabinet. And so the therapist said, and what do you think causes that? And I, I remember looking back at them and going, well, what do you mean? What causes what? The control that I then exert." And he said, no, no, what causes the feeling that things aren't in control? What, what causes that feeling of anxiety? And so then, of course, I start navigating down this line of, well, I, you know, it's, it's the lack of knowing. It's the knowledge of I, I, I don't know what could possibly happen next. And, you know, I'm starting to un- unpack all of that and process that. And of course, then our time was up because that's usually what happens. And at that particular session, my therapist very, very gently said, when we start to understand what causes the responses that we then have in life to a variety of different triggers and circumstances and stimuli. If we can get to the root cause of it, then we can fix it. I've often gone back to that conversation. If I can get to the root cause, and so when certain things maybe start to stress me out or a conversation is starting to bother me or I begin to react and respond a certain way, especially to the people that I spend the most time with, my husband and my kids, I kind of can center myself with, okay, what's causing this? What, what's causing my frustration? What's causing my tense voice? What's causing my anger? What's causing my passive aggressive attitude? Like what's causing this? I think a lot of us would benefit from asking that question in a lot of different areas. And the conversation you're going to hear today with Rachel Kalaki of Magdala Ministries is kind of a zoomed out conversation of, okay, well, what causes women, especially to sometimes turn to things in their life that they then become inordinately attached to and improperly addicted to that draws them further and further away from the love of the Lord and further and further away from an authentic expression of self, what causes that disordered attachment? And Rachel posits in, in today's conversation as she shares her own story and her own struggle and her own journey of healing, she shares how sometimes what causes it is we don't understand who we actually are. We understand maybe what we're good at. We understand maybe what we produce. We, we understand what people perhaps find valuable in our lives. But we sometimes don't know who we actually are. We've just put on masks and we've performed in certain ways and we've behaved as everybody's expected us to. And we've we've been the good little girl that everybody wanted us to be. And then when the mask comes off and when the lights turn off, we have no sense of identity We have no sense of self. We feel incredibly undignified and unworthy. And we act in certain ways. We behave in certain ways. How do we find healing from that behavior? How do we move beyond doing that repeatedly to resting in the loving arms of the Father? Rachel begins to explain that to us today in this episode and really gets to the heart of why sometimes healing has to be found in particular areas. I do want to offer a a very quick uh, conversational warning. I know some folks listen to this podcast maybe in the car with their kids. Today's conversation will be discussing pornography. And so if this is something that you don't want your children to maybe hear in the background or you're not ready to have those conversations yet, perhaps uh, take a beat and listen to it when you have some time on your own. It is a very edifying, very fruitful conversation, obviously not graphic in any way, shape, or form, but it does handle a particularly heavy topic, and we just wanted to let you know ahead of time. This is all part of our Ave Explorers series on healing. We have dug into a number of topics with some incredible people, Sister Josephine Garrett, Father Sean Kilcally, Dr. Bob Schutz, Father Rob Gallia, Roy Pettifee, Scott Wieman, and this conversation now with Rachel Kalacki is I think one that that really helps us dig into the heart of identity, which is something we have to grapple with through a healing journey. And we hope you enjoy it today. Rachel, welcome to Ave Explorers. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. I like to call this my elevator pitch question. If we bumped into each <sighs> other, who would I have just met? And what do you do? And then we'll kind of get into it.
1: Yeah, I think this is... Uh, these are funny because I usually hesitate. It's like the share your name and one fun thing about yourself <laughs> class question. You know? <laughs> An adjective. That starts with are. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I don't know. Yeah, so I'm Rachel Kalaki. I'm currently the executive director of Magdala Ministries, and we're aimed at providing community and resources for women women struggling with pornography addictions or other sexual compulsions. So that's kind of what I do for work. I've been speaking on the topic and working in that topic for several years now. It's been a joy. I'm married to my husband, Tommy. He's amazing. And we're expecting our first child, a baby girl in a month. So that's, awesome. that's kind of the basis. We just moved to Tampa, Florida. So it's hot and sweaty nice. right now,
0: especially third yeah. trimester, hot and sweaty. So Absol- <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. So I am married to a Tommy and my first oh. was a summer pregnancy and born yeah. at the end of August. So I am having some flashbacks to yeah. 2017 and hearing that I will pray for you. Thank how, you. Did, how did Magdala get started? Like, did you just wake up one day and say this needs to exist? What what's kind of the oh. impetus of this wonderful ministry?
1: Yeah, so I started speaking on the topic of pornography addiction in college. I went to Ave Maria University in Florida. That's where I got my bachelor's and master's. And I started speaking at women's retreats, just kind of sharing my own testimony. I got asked to do a couple different events and women would just flood afterward mm-hmm. and ask for help, ask for tips, kind of share their own story. Sometimes they just needed to get it off their chest. And so I was really convicted to just start a small group with our campus ministry. And I did that my senior year. I started our small group. I wrote our curriculum because there was nothing provided mm-hmm. for women online. Mm-hmm. So I wrote our curriculum and started our small group with my co-founder, Mary Jo. And she led it the following year. And we had the opportunity to go a little bit bigger after that. But I just didn't feel at peace and went on to grad school mm-hmm. and then worked for my diocese for a year in Nashville when we lived there. And then I was given the chance to kind of go, go bigger with the ministry again, kind of go virtual mm-hmm. and see if we could expand it. I had a week to decide. I was given a week to to decide if I wanted to do this. And <laughs> Magdala had always been the name in the back of my mind. And I was like, I guess it's time for this whole Magdala thing to begin. So I launched it in March of 2021. Wow. Yeah, it was moments of deep conviction, but also just moments of knowing I needed to wait. And that I I mm-hmm. personally was not ready to lead it. Mm-hmm. Um and that the team that I needed wasn't there yet. So there were several mm-hmm. things that needed to come into,
0: into place before yeah. it was time. You know, I, I, I admire the, the pullback because sometimes in ministry world, I mean, this is like a yeah. total side note. There's the temptation of, oh, this person wants to throw money at me to go do this thing. And it's like, mm, but is the Lord asking me to do it just yet exactly. or is it the right time? Yeah. And, you know, March of 2021 was a, a weird moment in, I would say culture, especially in, in the States with. COVID and with COVID restrictions and with coming out of it and trying to get back to normal and knowing what we know now about the spike in pornography use, especially during lockdown. So, so let's, let's get into this. So Magdalene ministry is specifically to aid women who are struggling with a pornography addiction. I want to zoom out. Let's talk about addiction. You know, by definition, we know what addiction is, but it's not just a, it's not just this thing that happens in our brain. It's this thing that's also happening in our heart. Let's, let's talk about that. What do we need to know about addiction if we're then going to talk about addiction recovery and healing from and, and in an addiction
1: yeah i think addiction when it when we're talking about the heart or spirituality i'm kind of of the mindset that it comes from a place of woundedness right it comes from a lack mm. some psychologists will even classify it as an attachment disorder which i think mm. is a really beautiful compassionate way to put it and i think that has spiritual ramifications right we can kind of put Mm -hmm. that into a spiritual lens we are disordered in our attachments we're not getting what we need we've agreed that we don't deserve what we need there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of ways that that can play out right but typically when we're talking about the heart addiction comes from that place of disorder of of lacking and sometimes (laughs) i think people people look for the one big wound right like where's the one Mm -hmm. big thing and oftentimes it's just like little things that just pile up throughout your life, whether that's like small pieces of neglect or rejection from peers is a huge one for women. I can talk about that more, mm-hmm. but it can, it can be small wounds that pile up and just kind of create that, that space where you're like, I, I need something, but I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go somewhere else and get it on my own. So yeah. that's kind of... The the heart and the brain work pretty similarly, but when it comes to the heart too, we ultimately are not finding the fulfillment of our need in in God. Um, mm-hmm. We're rejecting him as the source of all of our need and saying that we're better off on our own, whether in just this mm-hmm. place or many other places. Yeah. You know, it's,
0: it's interesting that you say the rejection from peers component, because when I would work with teenagers, there was a youth minister. A lot of times, like if you talk to a teenager about what is bugging them the most, it's it's yeah. very rare. Sometimes it's stuff at home that they'll bring up first or occasionally. But it's, it it was frequently like friend drama, like so and so has more than I have or is dating the guy that I had a crush on or, or you know, yeah. whatever it might. It was always kind of this internal. And it, it would always remind me that teenagers are much more aware of the community component that is necessary in life And I almost feel like as we get older, we kind of drift away from that because we don't have the ready-made, I'm-in-class-with-you-eight-hours-a-day group of friends. And so we start to kind of convince ourselves we don't need it. And and either way, it's just this perpetuation of there are people around me that maybe don't get me or don't accept me or or don't understand me. And so I'm going to go to a computer screen. I'm going to go to a website. I'm going to scroll through my phone. And it's going to lead me down a path of fulfillment, like you said, that is actually, it, it ends up... I have a therapist who has told me frequently the human being fills vacuums like we just fill the vacuum. Mm -hmm. So if if your house is eighteen hundred square feet, you're going to have eighteen hundred square feet worth of stuff by the time you're done living in it. If your Mm -hmm. heart is empty, you're going to try to fill it up with something garbage or not to try to give yourself some sort of satisfaction. What are the I don't want to trends is not the right way to put it, but what are the trends? Mm -hmm. What are we seeing in the data about this addiction specifically with females and pornography In a world and a culture that often says like, oh, yeah, there's no big deal about that. Like, that's just like part of your human sexuality. Like, what are we seeing?
1: Unfortunately, there's not a ton of formal research. This has been something we've run into with Magdala over Mm -hmm. and over. As we look for formal research specifically on women and we're not able to find it. But I can I can tell you from what I've gathered in personal conversations or just professionally, specifically from priests, there's been a ton of feedback from them that they've seen a massive spike in the last decade of women struggling Mm. with pornography, masturbation, other lust-based tendencies. And that's interesting to me that they usually say something like a decade, a decade Mm. to 15 years. But often when we're looking at women's intake forms too, when they come into Magdala, that's what they're saying is I've struggled with this for about a decade. I've struggled with this Mm. for about 15 years. And so when you look at just culture and the content that's being produced and put out there, and even just the messages that women are being sold, it's one of increasing sexual liberation. So you can see mm-hmm. the correlation in the past decade, especially between just the ramping up of this objectification of women and our, mm-hmm. almost like our, our objectification of ourselves. And then this, mm-hmm. this rise in, in, pornography addiction. But I also think with that objectification comes more loneliness, which also feeds mm-hmm pornography addiction mm-hmm. and, and other lust-based addictions but it's it's been interesting to see that that correlation ourselves and we're kind of gathering data as we go we're trying to yeah. formalize it in a way cuz there's nothing out there but that's mm-hmm. what i've seen is just i do think the pornography industry was geared towards men at the beginning so mm-hmm. we've had like a 50-ish 60-ish year struggle for men mm-hmm. whereas women have kind of come on the scene in the past decade or two tops but yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch the spike kind of and how it relates to culture overall.
0: Yeah. It's so troubling. Cause like even what you might think you're watching, oh, this is totally safe. Like this is something right. on Disney or this is not, this is not like a Disney attack by any means, but like, this is something <laughs> on like in a complete, like it is, it is network television at seven 30 at night and right. a joke is made or like, I'm distinctly remembering this, this modern family episode where, the son is watching something on a laptop that then freezes. And so the whole premise of the episode is how does he get it off of the computer screen so that his mom and his aunt don't see it. And then it was on the one hand, there's like funny moments in the episode of the antics of these teenage boys. And then on the other hand, these are 17 year olds. And then on the other hand, you're like, even they realize that there's something wrong about what they did. And like, there was no, like I should have no shame about this. Like there was a great sense of shame in this comedic sitcom that almost like counteracted what the culture was telling. Oh, it's totally normal to watch this stuff. Actually, no, like these boys are ashamed that they were watching this stuff and don't want their moms to know that they're doing it. And then like the conclusion of the episode is the mom's like kind of offended, but then also like kind of makes a passive joke about how she watches it too. And and you just, all of it wrapped up together in this one episode. And the reason I know it so vividly is because it was on just the other night on like the E! channel and it was on a rerun. Right. And you realize how... How pervasive it is in the culture, so it should not be surprising that it's pervasive in people's personal lives. But there's that yeah. how does it still get in? Like, how does the heart open up to something in such a way the heart is broken, and so then it tries to fill something up with it. What does the process look like? A woman discovers magdala or realizes this is something I'm dealing with how hmm. How do y'all walk through this healing process? With us, you know, don't give away the the proprietary content here. But but what what can healing even begin to look like? Because it almost sometimes feels like you're in this chasm, and there's no way forward. And there's oh yeah, yeah, I can identify triggers or I can understand where it maybe came from. But but how do I actually break free from it? What what does that look like?
1: Well, I have like six thoughts coming to my brain at one time. <laughs> so we have an eighteen session curriculum. <laughs> we, we we're like there's twelve steps, but we should probably just <laughs> expand here. One thing that really is just coming to mind first and foremost is just the healing of the imagination for women. Mm. One one formal study that I did find that was helpful was geared on presenting visual pornography to men and women and assessing where they attributed their arousal to. Mm -hmm. And so men attributed their arousal to the attractiveness of, of the actors in the video, whereas women attributed their arousal to whether or not they could imagine themselves as a person in the video. Mm -hmm. And so imagination is deeply, deeply ingrained in, um, in women's sexuality and our, and just kind of how we live our lives, right? Like creativity and imagination is huge for us. I think that study also side note kind of gets at the fact that we've, we've generalized and said men are addicted to porn because they're visual and women are emotional. So we like romantic Mm -hmm. comedies, right? Like, It's not true. (laughs) You know, we're both visual for different reasons. But just the life of the mind is so active in women, and that can be a source Mm -hmm. of deep pain, uh, deep sin, or incredible virtue, right? So much of who we are as women comes from our creativity and our ability to give Mm -hmm. life to things. So the healing of the imagination is huge healing women's thoughts, teaching them that their thoughts are good, their hearts are good, the things that are coming out of their minds are good. Ultimately, God Mm -hmm. gave them this power is imaginative power, because women usually come to us feeling incredibly dirty and thinking that all they mm-hmm. can produce is, is something shameful mm-hmm. because we have high, high numbers of women struggling with sexual fantasy. That's usually tied to a struggle with pornography or masturbation. So women believe that their, that their only creativity is to create <laughs> muck, sin, dirt, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So we have to heal that imagination but also, yeah, we, we have to take women beyond the practical. One of the best things mm-hmm. I've been learning in a certification program I've been doing is that recovery from addiction is not about sobriety. It's about intimacy. And mm. that just became a mantra for us. And for me personally, it's about intimacy with God, with others, with yourself, right? Restoring what we've lost in, mm-hmm. in the fall. And so a lot of women are, are wanting to achieve sobriety, but are still afraid of intimacy, And so Mm -hmm. we're trying to take them beyond that wall of Mm -hmm. true healing is not going to happen just because you have six months of sobriety, right? If you don't start to recover that journey of intimacy with God, with others and with yourself, you're going to fall again, fast Mm -hmm. and hard Mm -hmm. and maybe worse than before. And that's not a threat. It's just an invitation to Mm -hmm. walk into something deeper, a passage that has meant a lot to me just throughout my own healing journey is from Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And And just the the line that the title is based on is, you know, like, why should the gods hear the babble that we think we mean? And how can we meet them face to face until we have faces? So often, like what we're talking about, what we're spouting in recovery, like is is just babble, you know, and we have to put on our actual face in order to meet God face to face. We have to take that mask Mm -hmm. off. And that's a very layered, very long, arduous, beautiful process process. But that's kind of the journey we try to at least get them started on is towards intimacy, not just sobriety. But yeah, yeah, that's the big summary. You know,
0: you said, you said intimacy in my mind immediately went to stability because I, Mm. you know, Dr. Bob Schutz talked in the earlier part of our season, how, when a person is is wounded, they be- begin to believe that that is reality because right. everything else feels unstable. And so they have to get to a place eventually and I'm I'm probably butchering what he said. Everybody can go back and listen to episode 2, but <laughs> the only way to eventually find healing is to recognize that there is safety found in relationships, there's safety found yeah. in a stable home, there's safety found in a sure thing job. And so once those safe things are in place, then it's like, okay, now I can look at the wound as opposed to just living in the woundedness. And it almost seems like with, especially with women and a, a sexual addiction, pornography addiction, I loved what you said about this imagination that gets rerouted in an inappropriate way. It, it's as if, well, that becomes my reality and I, I therefore can't be close to anybody else because maybe I'll start mm-hmm. thinking of them in this way or I'll imagine things about them in this particular way or I'll yep. just run back to what I'm doing in in the shame and the dark of my home that nobody could ever know about. And I I, I want to say that women deal with this differently than men. Yeah. Because men are, and this is not an attack on guys, but like locker room culture almost makes light of it. And, and I've never in my life heard women making light of watching porn, like ever in my life. Yeah. I've heard teenage boys make jokes about it. I've heard grown men make jokes about it. I've never heard women because there's almost like this, oh, that, that sense of dirtiness from the feminine perspective I'm not saying that women know that it's wrong more, but it's that it's become so stigmatized in our culture that any woman would be fighting against this. Do you find women who approach y'all have, they've like, they've been looking for a really long time or like they've been scared for a really long time to try to fight up against it because it was this safe little thing that they had, but then also like, oh my gosh, they're all going to think I'm this weirdo. Like what what are y'all seeing in these women who do come?
1: Oh gosh, they're so scared. Yeah, but that's just the biggest one I've seen is they're very, very afraid. A lot of them sadly have dealt with rejection when they've tried to share their stories before. That's a common thread. Yeah, usually we have we have women coming to us very timid, very scared, very ashamed. Some of them have never told anybody before and have just been crippled behind the scenes by that. I think Matt Fred talks about this a lot, but he'll quote Audrey Assad giving her testimony on struggling mm-hmm. with porn addiction and how when when men struggle, at least they're all in the prison cell together. But when women struggle, it's like they're in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly true, right? <laughs> like just that, that is, I think the best metaphor I could have ever heard for, mm-hmm. for what we feel. But yeah, most women just come to us very afraid and and afraid to give it up too. That is part of addiction, right? We're afraid of, mm-hmm. of giving up, like, who am I when I get rid of this? Who am I when I let go of, of this thing mm-hmm. that's been fulfilling my need? there's a lot of people who say we kind of have to learn to break up with pornography or masturbation or these things that Mm -hmm. kind of fill our time in that space and, and give us fulfillment, even if just for a brief moment, even if it's false. Mm -hmm. So they do come very, very scared. A lot of them have also struggled with abuse or just have really traumatic sexual experiences in their history. Mm -hmm. And sometimes addiction has, has arisen from that. And I do think that happens in, in a higher, you know, concentration in in women than in men right Mm -hmm. so I think there's this unique dealing with with abuse with trauma and Mm -hmm. women just feel what happens in their bodies so deeply it's so it's Mm so you know attached to to our minds and to who we are and to our spirit too so I think I think it just yeah they come they come very very scared a lot Mm -hmm. of them in a a victimized place which is really Mm -hmm. tragic but We also have a couple women who come in confident, fighting, ready to go. You know, like you have, (laughs) you have them who are like, I'm so done with this. And they're usually the ones who, who go the fastest just because of that confidence. But there's no shame in coming to us very afraid. Like we're, we're very ready for that. And all of us have been in that place. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it is, that that is kind of a, a really sad, heavy part of what we do is kind of trying to answer that fear compassionately.
0: I have a, A good friend who's been through the 12 step program, Mm -hmm. I would say many times, but they would still introduce themselves as hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm an alcohol addict or I'm addicted to alcohol because like even present tense, like you're always an addict in some sense. And I've, I've talked to him about this. Like you're always an addict. Like you all, like you've been sober the entire time I've known you. And he's constantly reminding me like, no, no, like I know my triggers. And so I have to own the fact that those things could immediately suck me back in. And I've I've wrestled with, like, do you constantly call yourself a pornography addict if this is something you've been dealing with? Or, like, have, do you ever arrive? It's almost as if, and, and we talked to Scott about this, but, like, it's almost as if, does healing ever occur if I'm still calling myself an addict? Maybe I'm just, like, not reconciling the full language completely. I, I guess maybe this is where the church comes in. This friend of mine who has yeah. struggled and is in the 12-step program still to this day and has been sober for as long as I've known him does not have any faith. And so it's almost as if like, if the church was inserted mm. into your experience of this, do you think you would arrive at a different way of describing yourself? Like you're not just stuck in this place of this is what I've dealt with, but this is what I've dealt with. And this is now how, how I am living in the world who I am. How, mm. how, does, how do you think the church factors into healing? How do the sacraments give us maybe a different perspective on healing as Catholics?
1: Yeah, I, I actually kind of stand with you on wrestling with the the perpetual identification as an addict. Mm-hmm. That's something I have personally and professionally just kind of continued to explore and dialogue with people who know a lot more than I do <laughs> about right. whether or not that's actually helpful from, from a mm-hmm. Christian lens, specifically a Catholic one. But I personally don't identify that way. I, I prefer mm-hmm. to um, encourage women to identify as wounded and needy daughters of God, you know, yeah. um, mm. because I think that that's actually the problem. My, my problem was not, is not pornography. It's my woundedness and my sinfulness, right? That's the problem. Right. Um, pornography was, a was the manifested. self-medication. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the symptom of the problem. Um, mm. so I kind of, that's kind of where I stand currently on it. I'm definitely open to changing my mind. I do think it's important to admit that you are an addict when you are. I do think that's Mm -hmm. important is saying I am an addict, but once you've entered the healing process, you know, changing it to, I suffer from an addiction, I'm in recovery, or I struggled with an addiction, I'm in recovery. That was much more uplifting to me and, and held me accountable the, you know, the grace I've been receiving to heal Mm -hmm. more than identifying perpetually as an addict would. So that's kind of where my thoughts stand currently. Again, there are people who know so much more than I do, so I would defer to them, (laughs) but I think the church factors into healing primarily through providing us with that identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. church is a mother and, and mothers us really, really well if we let her. And I think specifically for women, finding re, or finding our feminine identity again in the arms of, of the church. It's so beautiful, <laughs> it breaks you wide open. One of the, the biggest parts of my healing story was was Eucharistic adoration. And just mm. one of my biggest breakthrough moments in entering recovery was, was in adoration. And then just throughout my, my personal healing, whether that was after therapy sessions or just in prayer or whatever, finding myself in front of the Eucharist in adoration was a powerful, mm-hmm. powerful part of my healing. So yeah. I, I think the, the church gives you that identity back, right? It tells you who you are, but it also gives you these tools and these means to discover who you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just tell you and then leave you to figure it out on your own. Like she, she right. hands you exactly what you need to go find it and to believe it, yeah. which is a very long process. But yeah, she she will definitely restore if you let her.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that word restore. It's been a big theme. It was the theme of a Stupendville conference last summer. Mm-hmm. It was the theme of Sister Miriam's book, The other day I bought a hand mug that has Restore like stamped to the bottom. I was like, man, Joanna Gaines is even thinking about this idea of restoration (laughs) in the current moment. You mentioned a little bit of your own story. Magdala didn't just fall out of the sky. It was a response in a very real way to what you saw was a need, a need that you yourself were experiencing. So could you tell us a little bit of your own healing journey? I kind of did it in reverse with you because I wanted to get into the nitty gritties. I I know some people sometimes... At least in my own experience, you start sharing something and they like immediately turn off because they're like, no, 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 that's that. So hopefully we've won people over with some practicals and with some insights. <laughs> and, and now we can hear a little bit of your story if you're willing to share.
1: Yeah, of course. I actually appreciate it because usually it is one way and then the other. But this is reversed. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was first exposed to porn when I was 13. And then it was actually through written pornography and mm. kind of like erotica or fan fiction, that kind of category. And that's kind of where it stayed for about a year. And then it went deeper into video content. So I struggled total for about five and a half years. And nobody and knew. And you're,
0: I mean, a high schooler.
1: Yeah, I was a high schooler. Yeah. And oh, that's, that's actually kind of late compared to the, the average age. The average age is 11, mm. statistically. I have women as young as four years old like Ugh. that's their, that's their age when they were exposed as like four years old. So this has been Ugh. a part of their yeah. development. Um, and it was yeah. part of my development as a teen too, mm-hmm. um, which is often the case. So I struggled pretty perpetually for about five years. And I think I told my best friend in high school when I was a senior. So she was the first person that I talked to. And she received it with a lot of mercy. She didn't struggle with something similar. So there wasn't like that relatability there, but she was super compassionate and, mm-hmm. and didn't make a big deal out of it too, which I really appreciated. Didn't didn't treat me any different, didn't make it a long conversation. Like she just let it be what it was, which I was very grateful for and highly recommend if you're on the receiving end mm-hmm. of a disclosure, don't make it too big of a deal of it and just let the mm-hmm. person share what they want to. But I went to I went to college and just was really all of a sudden surrounded by Catholic community in a way that I hadn't been before. I just felt so called on to become who I was, to fulfill God's call for my life, uh, to spend more time with the sacraments, you know, and just, I was super motivated. And I had been raised in a devout Catholic family. So I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I was by no means like distant from the faith growing up, but, but it was that it was kind of that being surrounded by the life of the church in a new way and kind of embracing it for myself as an adult off mm. at college. And then a really wonderful guy actually started pursuing me and it just created this, this hell storm, you know, inside where I did not feel worthy of his attention or his pursuit at all. Mm. And that kind of asked me to confront why. And I had not been willing to really, really admit addiction before that, I don't remember one moment where i I really, really did, but looking back on my journals in high school, like you know I could kind of talk about it with the Lord, like I would address it as like my lust problem or my struggle with lust, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want to name porn, I didn't want to name right. anything, right, But in college, I had to I, I had to confront what this was, and time alone in my dorm had left me with more access, more availability, and so I was, I was struggling deeply again. But I decided to go on this healing retreat. I didn't go on the whole retreat because I'm not that committed, but I went to the, the night of adoration <laughs> <laughs> of my roommate and I crashed it. And I had been reflecting on and actually telling this guy about a scene from the great divorce by C.S. Lewis, where the, the red lizard is wrapped around a, a ghost shoulder as he tries to journey into heaven. And Lewis's character is looking on and And just seeing this ghost try to enter, but be stopped by an angel. And the angel asks if he can kill the lizard. And he just tells the ghost, like, you can't enter heaven with that. And for Lewis, the the lizard did represent lust, though it can represent any habitual sin that we're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And the ghost and the angel kind of proceed to argue back and forth about whether or not the ghost is going to let this red lizard be killed. And he gives all sorts of reasons. He's like, it'll it'll hurt you know it's it's going to calm down it'll be fine you know i don't know who i am without this you know just so many different reasons and it looks exactly you know like what reckoning with an addiction looks like or reckoning with any sin looks like and finally he does allow the ghost to, or the lizard to be ripped from his shoulders and killed by the angel and i had been mm-hmm. describing this scene to my friend and then i walked into this adoration night for this retreat and there was a panel from, I guess, a past talk or whatever, but there was a panel of some of the speakers. And one speaker got asked a question and, and passed the mic got past him. I don't even remember what the question was. I was just standing in the back of the room. And he just responded first with saying, there's a scene in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis involving mm-hmm. a ghost and a red lizard. And I just mm-hmm. felt dead where I stood. Like I was like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is about to get real. And I just felt, God very, very clearly say like, you're not leaving this room until we address this. Like, Mm. you know what your red lizard is. You're not leaving until we talk about it. (laughs) Mm. So that night was incredibly powerful. There was, there was like guided meditations on, on healing. And then, yeah, and you could get anointed by like a a blessed oil. And then you would go up for individual exposition in front of the Eucharist. Once you had kind of had your, your moment and you could go to prayer teams. There's just so much available. But that was the first time I remember just weeping, weeping, weeping in front of the Eucharist and just saying, I'm a pornography addict. God, and I am so tired of myself. I'm so tired of myself. I've tried to do this on my own and I cannot anymore. I'm so tired. I want to be different. I know I'm capable of something different, but I, I cannot get myself there. And I even told the prayer team when I went to go be prayed over, I said, I'm struggling with a pornography addiction and I, I need help breaking free. So was just that the even, first time
0: you'd said it? out loud to other Mm -hmm. people besides your friend?
1: Yeah. Besides my friend, I had written an article for an outlet called the young Catholic woman talking about pornography addiction, but didn't admit it personally Mm -hmm. in that article. I'm I'm assuming people knew, you know, if I was writing about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how my parents kind of found out was that article being published. So that was fun, but they were very supportive and, and very proud. So they, they responded really beautifully too, but Mm -hmm. but it was going up in front of the Eucharist and individual exposition and kneeling down. That was kind of the breakthrough moment because Mm -hmm. as the Eucharist was coming down the line and each person was having their turn, I was just looking up at the crucifix nearby. And I was just just saying like, Lord, do I actually get to be done? Can I be done with this? Is it ever possible? Mm -hmm. Like, do I get to be done? And the Eucharist passed in front of me and I just heard it is finished. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And I was just, (laughs) I was just a mess. I was just like sobbing and, couldn't look up. Wow. And it was, it was, yeah, it was really, really incredible. It was like the good, you know, like snot kind of weeping. Oh yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just The like, good
0: <laughs> ugly cry with Jesus. Yeah. Those are my favorite at Steubenville conferences when you like look up and you're like, something just happened. Some yes. healing just happened over there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I had one <laughs> yep. of those at a Steubenville, Steubenville conference in high school. That was, that was a moment for me too.
0: They're good like that. Um, sometimes they don't happen, but then sometimes you're just like, this is, it was in 2019, it was in an adoration in a basketball stadium that I was like, I think it's time for us to pursue a second kid. And like texted my husband in the middle of adoration, I'm ready. And he was like, what just happened? I said, Jesus, Jesus just happened. He just walked on by. Like, it's amazing what can happen when <laughs> you let awesome. yourself be vulnerable in front of yeah. the blessed sacrament. And and hearing that it is finished. Like what a beautiful yeah. affirmation from the Lord that like, it is good that you are pursuing healing. Because I, I wonder if that's maybe part of, Sometimes women, we convince ourselves, like, I'm not worthy of this, so therefore I'm not worthy of any sort of healing. Like, I did this to myself, yeah. so I'm the one that has to put up with it. And that <laughs> sense of shame, which is very different than guilt, right? Guilt, like, leads you to want to change. Shame yes. makes you run and hide. And I feel like women very much, men get guilty with things and want to fix it. Like, I think of how my husband and I fight over stuff, and it's like an immediate sense of guilt. I got to fix it versus me who, like, wants to kind of run and hide yeah. Your story is beautiful and thank you for sharing it with us and and I know that there are people listening. I have every confidence in the world that there are people listening who will hear that and think, "Okay, I want my it is finished moment. I want yeah. to pursue healing myself." Now, running this ministry, having found healing, what do you wish you'd known in the start? This is kind of our our money question to all of our guests this season. Like if you could go back to early Rachel, mm when the wounds maybe had started, but like you didn't even realize it or like when the healing journey started for you, what do you wish you'd known?
1: I think I wish I had known that it would be layered, you know, Mm. because that moment happened and then recovery didn't just like begin instantly after that. And I was fine. You know, it wasn't this magic moment that took everything away. I definitely still fell into watching pornography several times after that throughout the next year. And that was hard because I was like, wait, mm-hmm. I've had this moment. What's wrong with me? But it's not that the grace isn't there. It's just that we, we have to be carved out in a certain way to receive it. And so there's been, there's been layers. After I graduated college, there was, there was a whole other layer kind of to unpack of my own woundedness. And, and I found a lot of freedom, specifically through therapy in that season, mm-hmm. just really working through the wounds that I had that had led me to pornography and primed me for pornography in the first place. That's how my therapist put it. It was so compassionate. She just said like, yeah, you were, you were primed for it. You were Mm -hmm. primed for it. And that was so, so freeing for me to hear. And I think that's the case with most every woman who comes to us is they're primed by something or by Mm -hmm. several things, small or large, but yeah, just that healing is healing is layered. It, it is Mm -hmm. perpetual. There's seasons where it's deeper than other seasons and Mm -hmm. you know, I think you have to have patience as those layers are revealed. And I -hmm. I do wish I had known that, that, Mm -hmm. um, that each layer that's revealed, it's, it's because the Lord is good because he's trying to increase my capacity to receive his tenderness. It's not to make me afraid. It's not to make me believe that I'm back where I was. So that, Mm -hmm. I I think that's the most important piece is just like, be ready for a very layered journey. Right. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. that can be a joyful thing that can be an invitational thing not uh, not one that's that's frightening or threatening
0: yeah that's great advice and, and a beautiful way to put it where can we learn more about magdala where can we follow you i know that people one of our big things with this season is resources that we want to provide for folks down in our show notes so we'll of course have a link to magdala ministries there so folks can come find you but but where can people access all this great stuff
1: Yeah. So we actually don't have social media as an organization and I don't have any personally. (laughs) So I can't be found many, but yeah, our, our website is the best place to find all of our resources. You can connect to our podcast there, our blog, you can sign up for a small group. You can also, if you're a woman who has struggled and has received some healing, whether from porn, masturbation, lust, just whatever it might be, you can sign up to be a small group moderator so we are always in desperate need of small group leaders. So if you feel any sort of itch or call towards that, please sign up. And we don't just throw you to the wolves. There's a an onboarding process in which we kind of pray and think about whether or not this is a good fit. But mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can kind of find all of our stuff on our website. Every once in a while, I'll poke my head out on a podcast or something. But <laughs> other than that, um, we're kind of, we kind of lie low um, or yeah. lay low. I don't know how to speak with proper.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got a baby cooking. That baby brain has yeah, we, to kick in at some yeah, point. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. We just, we stay low to the ground. I'll put it that way, but not to hide, but just because we want to make sure that our focus stays on yeah, uh, the women that we're way. serving yeah. and that our energy is directed that way. So, so you can find everything you need on our website if you're a woman in need or if you want to learn how you can support us or spread the word. So yeah, we're trying to make it all in one landing spot for you.
0: Y'all are great. Y'all are great. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Rachel. We really, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me, Katie.
0: I was so grateful Rachel was able to take the time to sit down and share her story with us. I think she was actually the first interview I did for the whole season way back in the summertime. And and listening to her story and being able to walk through her journey as she shared with us and as she, of course, then talked about the fruits of her healing, which have been not only uh, you know a healed life, but also a, a deeper awareness of how she can help other people walk on this journey. I was so struck by the fact that, you know, Magdala Ministries, they have a, a very, very basic website, but they, they're not on social media. They're not trying to become anything other than what they are, which is we're here to help women who are struggling in this very particular way. And that's not something that necessarily needs to be floating across social media or many, many podcasts or on the radio every afternoon. It's a very personal, heart work kind of thing. And so in that, I would really encourage you to click on the link down below to learn a little bit more about Rachel's ministry, maybe support them because of the amazing things that they do. And if you know somebody who is struggling with this particular challenge in their life to maybe direct them to Magdala Ministries, they're doing something really unique Maybe share this episode with them because I think her conversation and her insights are really uh, kind of perfect in the midst of everything that we've been talking about with healing, but especially poignant and needed at this precise moment in culture, at this precise moment in history. All of these conversations about healing with these amazing people, I listed them off at the beginning of the episode. Everything is available for you on the Ave Explores RSS feed, where you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, the episodes are there. You can also find some uh, interesting inside conversations with our guests, some written conversations available on our website, avemariapress.com as well. We'd love it if you'd share with people that you are walking through this journey of healing with us in these conversations. We think they're really, really incredible and we think they're a gift for a lot of people. So we'd love it if you'd share, if you'd give that rating and review so more folks can find Ave Explores. We'll be back next week with a couple of excellent episodes about grief and healing and walking through the fire, walking through deep, deep pain with a couple of amazing guests, Letitia Adams and Jenny Hubbard, who have both lost and buried children We can't wait for you to hear those conversations. They are really quite beautiful. Don't miss anything. Sign up for our emails on the website. Subscribe to the podcast so that you get them straight to your phone when we drop those new episodes next week. Thanks so much for being with us this week. We'll see you for more of Ave Explores Healing very soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.